You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Frank. Hi, everybody. And here's what's ahead this hour. Are the meme stocks making a comeback? Bed Bath & Beyond shares have doubled in August. AMC's up 50%. It could be a major headache for the shorts, but is it actually a good sign for the markets? And this time, where's all the cash coming from? We will dive into all of that. Plus, the CHIPS Act is now signed into law, but the CHIPS stock's tumbling for a second straight day, and you are seeing the effect on the NASDAQ. NVIDIA down 10% this week. Now Micron out with a revenue warning. We'll talk to one of the key senators involved about how soon and how much this will actually help U.S. chip companies. And some big movers about to report their results like Coinbase, Roblox, and Wynn Resorts. All of them, by the way, up double digits this month. Will their momentum continue or hit an earnings reality check? That's all ahead. But first, let's get to Dom Chu with the latest numbers, Dom. Uh, Very much in the red right now, as opposed to the kind of mixed picture we saw earlier, Kelly. And by the way, what you're seeing right now here is just about session lows for just about the entire part of the market here. We'll get to some of the numbers after we get through the top lines here. The Now Industrial is down about 22 points. Very flat, but again, losing a little bit of steam here. The S&P 500, again, your session lows. At the lows, we were down 23 points, down three points at the highs. So it's been a down day overall for the S&P. But 41.19, the last trade down off about one half of 1%. The Nasdaq Composite off about 190 points plus near the lows of the session, off one and a half percent. That's the real kind of epicenter of the downside today. That and small caps, I would point out. Kelly mentioned the NVIDIA warning from yesterday. It is the Micron warning today. So semiconductor stocks very much in focus here, given some of the revenue outlooks and profit outlooks from two big brand name semiconductor companies. So NVIDIA is off another five and a half percent today after big losses yesterday. Micron's down about five and a quarter percent on its warning today. Lamb Research, Applied Materials, Advanced Micro Devices, all some of the most, I guess, biggest laggards, if you will, in the S&P 500 so far. So keep an eye on those chip stocks. They have been viewed by some traders as that leading indicator for the broader technology trade, at least over the course of the last several months. So keep an eye on those. And then one other place to watch is what's happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. We got some commentary from some trading desks, JP Morgan and others, about maybe this bottoming process happening right now with Bitcoin prices earlier this week. Bitcoin is now below 24,000, 23,089 the last trade. They're off about three and a half percent. The reason why it's kind of important, some traders are kind of eyeing this level here. On the upside, about 24,000. That was the high end of the range that we've seen for the last couple of months here. If we were to break out above it, Maybe it portells more upside, but if we were to kind of drift a little bit more to the downside here, it might just say that, hey, maybe the bottom is not exactly in yet. So watching that 24,000, that's the reason why some traders are scrutinizing that level. We'll keep an eye on those Bitcoin prices. Kel, I'll send things back over. Great point, Dom. Thank you very much. Also, tomorrow's CPI report seen as a key indicator of the Fed and the market's next moves. Remember, it was that hotter read in June that helped spark the Fed's first 75 basis point rate hike. But now we've seen inflation expectations cooling and speculation swirling over whether tomorrow's data will bring any further signs of relief. My next guest says don't bet on the Fed easing up anytime soon, though, and he's got names that will do well regardless. Joining me now is Bryant Van Cronkite, great name, uh, managing director at Allspring Global Investments and portfolio manager of the their special mid-cap value fund. Brian, it's great to have you here. So let me just overall start with why you don't think that they're going to let up anytime soon, and, and that would be fine for stocks, or that makes you a little cautious, uh, generally speaking? Yeah, hi, Kelly. Good to be with you. Uh, I think the market is, is trading on the volatility of when the Fed might pivot. But when we think about the CPI numbers, especially tomorrow, 
the question we ask ourselves, is the number possibly too hot or too cold that would change the path of the Fed in the near term? And for me, the answer is no. I think the social and political fabric of the Fed today is more worried about the ramifications of inflation staying too uh, persistently strong than they are about a demand-driven recession. And so from my standpoint, the path of the Fed is likely higher for longer than the market's pricing today. And the idea of Fed cuts in early 2023 seems wildly misplaced to me. So we're looking for the Fed to be uh, higher for longer and owning stocks that are relatively indifferent to that outcome, frankly. You know, it's been interesting to watch the market do pretty well since that mid-June meeting where they did the bigger rate hike. And then we've had another one and yet stocks are up, commodities are down. I mean, it's it's kind of moved in the way that you would hope it were moving if their moves were improving financial market conditions. So I don't I don't know if that means that stocks can keep rallying or not from here if, if they do have to price in eventually a more hawkish trajectory. I think the idea for our portfolio management is to build a portfolio that's relatively immune to those directions, right? You want to own stocks that, for the best part, can control their own destiny. And the best way to do that is by finding companies that have uniquely positioned balance sheets. Balance sheets will provide our companies with protection if they need it, but also the optionality to play offense. We want companies that can go out there and make acquisitions, that can go out there and invest in organic growth, that can do buybacks if their stocks get cheap. And so I think if you look at the market as a whole, you can begin to misread what the opportunities are out there. We see a market that likely is going to start to create more uh, volatility, less correlation, and more opportunity for stock picking, frankly. A couple of the names are somewhat familiar. We often hear about these a little bit more when we're talking about the infrastructure bill or things like that. Ma- uh, Vulcan, MassTech, Reynolds Consumer Products. Tell me why these names jump out to you. you know, all of our companies either have one of two things. They either have demand drivers that we think are more secular in nature and will withstand any meaningful impact from a small recession, or two are going to have margin, but um, will win the margin game. We think the talk of the the market will switch from demand to margins in the future. So we want to be on the right side of that. So think of Vulcan, for example. People tie it to being a cyclical stock. And for sure, the end markets around non-resi, resi, and highway construction is ten- cyclical over time. But right now, the demand drivers and demographics and the highway bill, we think will keep demand high. But you're looking at an industry that's had tremendous pricing power, has been squeezing the margin front due to diesel. And we believe the margins from here will expand while demand stays strong. From a balance sheet perspective, they have a chance to sell some non-core assets and invest that capital back into acquisitions and their core business. That combination, we think, sets up really nicely for the next 12 to 18 months. All right. I like that phrase, the stocks that can shape their own destiny. It's not just all about the Fed. Brian, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Brian Van Krakuyt. Now let's talk about the meme stocks. Shouldn't this all have been left for dead after the Fed started aggressively draining liquidity out of the markets? But check out some of the huge moves we're now seeing in three big meme names. Let's start with the OG, which is GameStop. The shares absolutely surging over the past two years at more than 3,700%. Now the record intraday price over there, $95 at the height of meme mania. We're down to 40 right now. So we're about halfway down from the highs. Um, in some ways you could say it's held up better than expected. In other ways, though, the question is whether there's going to be any return for the people in the shares now. The next one is AMC. While it's up 370% since August 2020, those shares peaked last June and have generally been on a downtrend ever since, at least until recently. As for Bed Bath & Beyond, well, the shares don't have any gains to show for themselves. They're down 27% over the past two years. Even accounting for that 40% surge we saw yesterday, it's already giving that back about 15% of it today to back below $10 a share. But what's been driving the recent resurgence of some of these stocks? Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg. He's the chief investment officer at Sanctuary Wealth and a CNBC contributor. We're also joined by our very own Bob Pisani. 
Welcome to you both. And Bob, I'll just start with you. What are the traders saying about these moves? Well, the most obvious observation is that this is a return of more speculative activity that is not necessarily welcome. The Fed's going to notice this kind of thing if it goes on. But I would notice, look, Friday we were 39 in GameStop. We went to 48 yesterday and we're 39, 40 today. They're selling uh, into this. So maybe that's a good news. Kelly, the, when this happened a year and a half ago, people said to me, isn't this a sign that fundamentals don't matter anymore with GameStop? They're not trading on fundamentals. And you can get stocks move Outside of fundamentals, this happens frequently. In the 1990s, Arch Crawford, a friend of CNBC, came on with financial astrology. They had all sorts of different ways. But in the long run, Kelly, the reason you own stocks for 400 years is for a future stream of dividends and then potentially earnings that could turn into dividends or some kind of cashback. And I don't think that's going to change for a vast part of the stock market. Although, Jeff, part of the fund has been watching the retail armies use um, you know, messaging forums, if you will, social media to basically try to have the same kind of heft and firepower that the big money has and to even take them on in this whole kind of battle of the two. How much is that factoring in here, if at all now? Well, you're absolutely right, Kelly. And I think they did chalk up a win. Let's talk about the retail investors. They chalked up a victory when they got a lot of the short hedge funds squeezed out last January. But I think you have to go back and as football season is just a couple weeks away, I think you have to talk about a trick play. That was a trick play. You did see Reddit and a variety of different retail investors gather together and push markets higher and squeeze some of the biggest and smartest hedge funds out there. I don't think you can run the same play. Just like in football, Kelly, you can't run the same play again. So yes, it feels like deja vu. And I thought Dom brought up a really interesting point about potentially Bitcoin bottoming. So there's a lot of euphoria and enthusiasm that we are going to have a little bit of a deja vu in the meme stocks. But you have to look at the fundamentals. Bob is 100% right. The fundamentals are thin. You talk about one important metric in running a company. It's called operating income. It's negative in game stock. But if you have a stomach and you want to buckle your chin strap, I think you can try and trade here. There's some support potentially on the chart in GameStop at $34. But when you talk about all these stocks, AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, Bed Bath & Beyond is really interesting. Elon Musk may wake up tomorrow and get one of those 20% discount flyers and decide to buy it. It's less than $500 million <laughs> of market cap. So this is a high beta. If you're a trader and you use stops, hop in. The water's warm. But if you're talking long-term investing like Bob just was, I think you stay away from at least the first two names. And then if you want to take a bet here, Kelly, you take a bet on Bed Bath Beyond being bought for a lot of reasons, but not for the fact that they're making money. Well, at the same time, Bob, we wonder where all the money's coming from this time around or if this one is sustainable. And overall, people, have, like Jeff was saying, it has to be some kind of good sign if there's interest in meme stocks and if crypto. And I mean, these are liquidity gauges, if you want to call it that, momentum gauges, signs of life for the rally of the broader market. Well, right. So the S&P is up 10 percent in the last few weeks. Uh, and this is a sign of a return of more speculative activity. I don't think it's a very good sign overall. I think the market, I think the Fed certainly wants to see more subdued speculative activity. I just want to comment on the short interest story because this makes some sense to me. What you need is a critical mass of people who can move uh, by sufficient amount. So if you have enough people get together and say, you know, the interest, short interest, very high here. And if all of us get together, we might be able to force some people to cover the shorts and drive the price up. This is not an absurd observation. It's not insane or nonsensical at all. But it does nothing to improve the fundamental outlook of the company itself. And again, that's kind of what you're interested in here long term. You're interested in the fundamental outlook. And Bob, so, remember, so I, I Bob, think that's illegal. That's illegal to do if you're a hedge fund. This is retail investors. This is unregulated. This is a completely different scenario here. 
Right. There is, but no one is going to. The, the SEC is not going to go after uh, the, the Reddit crowd uh, for uh, for manipulation of the stock. I think that's highly unlikely that that will ever happen. Agreed. Uh, maybe on a hedge fund, you get more organized, but not not in a Reddit crowd. So the, this was not absurd. The fundamental my point here is the the idea that the Reddit crowd had the initial observation, which you brought up, Jeff, that hey, you know, there's an awful heavy short interest here, and if enough of us get together, we can make a difference. <laughs> That made some sense. But again, it doesn't change the fundamentals at all. And ultimately, listen, they had layoffs at GameStop recently. <laughs> Everything they've been trying has not been successful. At least AMC is talking about a special dividend. At least they have something there to move the stock on a fundamental basis. I don't particularly see it over at GameStop. Quick last word, Jeff. Well, I think you have to understand, you know, this is musical chairs. I think a lot of people lost a lot of money, but certainly a lot of people have made money when you saw the meme stocks take off. I don't think, like every movie out there, Kelly, the sequel is never as good as the original. So <laughs> buyer beware, buyer beware. Well, certainly less interesting. Uh, guys, thank you very much. Jeff Kilberg, okay. Bob Bassani, we appreciate it as we continue to watch those meme stocks. Coming up, Senator Maria Cantwell, head of the Commerce Committee, joins us on the signing of the CHIPS Act. But the semis are under pressure as Micron becomes the latest chip maker to cut its guidance. Can these subsidies spark a turnaround? Plus, it's been a quarter to remember for Coinbase and Roblox. Even wins having its best stretch in nearly two years. Can this trio keep up the momentum when they report after the bell? It's ahead in earnings exchange. And as we head to break, here's another look at the markets, which Dom said a moment ago are near session lows. The Nasdaq down 1.5% under pressure from the chips, but the Russell 2000 small cap's the worst performer, down one and three quarters percent. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to The Exchange. The chip stocks are among the worst performers on the session today, with Intel down about 3%, but Micron, AMD, NVIDIA down about 5%. Micron today followed NVIDIA's commentary yesterday, both warning of weakening demand this quarter, citing a slowdown in revenues, everything from PC to gaming. But Micron did announce a new $40 billion investment in domestic manufacturing after President Biden signed the Chips and Science Act into law just this morning. The White House claims there's more to come, saying the new legislation, which allocates more than $52 billion to U.S. chip production, will, quote, unlock hundreds of billions more in private industry spending. Joining me now in an exclusive CNBC interview is the senator who led negotiations on the CHIPS Act, Maria Cantwell, the Democrat from Washington State and chair of the Senate Commerce Committee. Senator, welcome. Thank you. Are we sure Intel is going to be the best steward of all of these funds? Just looking at the fact that its shares are peaked in the year 2000 and have fallen about in half over the past 18 months, you know their struggles probably better than I. Well, there's a lot going on here in what you're saying about the numbers. But, uh, you know, first of all, the third quarter is never a great quarter for technology. If you think about it, people are out and about. They're not inside buying product. And secondly, we know that Intel is doing everything it can to make investment in what will make it the leader in chip design. So the, the CEO has said, we're not doing stock buybacks, we're making this investment. So that might affect the market for a while. But the story today is the United States is sending a big message that we're going to invest in bringing the manufacturing sector of semiconductors back to the United States, growing our percentage of that because we have supply chain problems, and making sure that we have the science and technology to lead in the next generation of design. 
so that we know that this is investment today, jobs tomorrow. So these numbers, we, they will have good numbers, and this is the right investment. You know, the, the timing of this, the irony of it struck me a little bit as well with uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. This will arguably make the U.S. less dependent on Taiwan for the manufacturing of chips that NVIDIA and, and our AMD and the others make. So at the same time that we're sort of more vociferously than ever backing Taiwan, we're also moving our supply chain away from them in this key area. Well, anytime you're 80% dependent on something, it's not a good idea if you have risks to that supply. And the pandemic showed us that we do have vulnerabilities in our supply chain. So the United States now wants to up its percentage of manufacturing in supply and also, again, be the best in design. The next idea is that integrate big data AI into delivery, whether it's driverless cars, precision agriculture, new medical devices. And so to do that, we have to make sure that the ecosystem of chips is here in the United States. And we have really slipped down to 12 percent over the last decade, not a position we want to be in. Absolutely. I think it was 80 percent or something like that in the past. And Intel used to be one of the most incredible companies in America. Let me just ask you as, as well, as we look to move this entire industry more or less, you know, onshore it, is there a precedent for success in something like this? I don't know what the correct, you know, term is for industrial you know, some sort of industrial national well, <laughs> strategic program. But do we do we know that 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 this will succeed? Well, this is really about investment. This is about an investment tax credit, which we've done investment tax credits for solar and wind. And we can see that we've created more of that economy here. We're really investing now in that for the smart grid so that our our grid system can integrate at the White House ceremony was uh, uh, an entrepreneur talking about concurrent. Uh, I think that was the name of it, concurrent or current, maybe just concurrent. But he's come up with a technology that basically can recharge cars on the spot without infrastructure, you know, the physical infrastructure around. So great idea. So what we're going to do is with this with this investment and lots of investment by the private sector make us the hub again of this innovation. So the more that we're pouring in and getting the collaboration between business and universities and the National Science Foundation, the more that collaboration produces results for the United States. The more people want to be on the cutting edge, the more they want to come here. So it, it is really trying to turn the tide and basically saying there's a new day in America when it comes to semiconductor manufacturing. And that day is going to be an investment by all of us to make sure that we continue to lead in this particular yeah, area. I hope you're right. I hope it works. It's almost, it reminds me a little bit of, who is it, Kaiser during World War II who had to pivot from, you know, pivot into shipbuilding and, and manage to do, you know, just pull off these incredible feats uh, of engineering in a very short period of time with a, a big program behind him. You m m sort of raised energy, so I, I just wanted to ask you as well about whether we need a similar investment. And you're an expert in this space, obviously, uh, and have been for years. Do we need a similar effort in our domestic energy uh, infrastructure right now? Because when I look at the headlines coming from Europe, and I mean, it's pretty scary, some of the stuff going on right now. And um, while we appreciate that we're doing clean energy investments, just shoring up the grid in general, do we need a, a program of a similar scale to make sure that bills aren't going to spike and we're not going to have you know, outages? 
Well, this the chip investment really is by us a very small investment compared to what the private sector is going to put in. And the reason why is that why is it even necessary is because the types of incentives being offered by Taiwan and Korea and now even Europe, we have to be competitive in making sure that that manufacturing base does remain in the United States. And on energy, while we have made similar investments in the ITC, one of the things that we just uh, passed here in the Senate is on the way to the House is to, to further incent the movement towards a sustainable aviation fuel. This is a big part of emissions, a big part of our uh, transportation fuel sector cost. We know that it's too costly. It raises prices on people. So if we can make a transition to cleaner, more sustainable aviation jet fuel, that will be a big change uh, in the economy. So there, there, the, the, the CHIPS bill that we passed, CHIPS and Science, has an investment in our national labs to look at testbed technology, that is technology that can be deployed and scaled like advanced uh, aviation sustainable fuels and other concepts that uh, actually small nuclear reactors, a whole variety of things that will be uh, part of the next generation of energy to help us diversify off of more uh, you know, polluting uh, energy sources. So yeah. we, we just know this about the United States. If you invest in innovation, you know, chances are, and even if you think about it, the natural gas innovations that have happened, happened because of, uh, you know, government R&D that led people to understand what was next with natural gas. Mm, you're, I'm going to hear from the industry after now. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. It wasn't just the government. <laughs> no. Well, I, not I, just, it's not just them. It's no. a partnership. But it's always a partnership, and that's what's so unique about the United States, is that we have a partnership. The things that can't be done by the private sector that are harder to tackle, we take those on, whether that's at DARPA or the Department of Energy yeah. or other places. But yes, there's a lot of uh, technology. This great report that Ernie Moniz and Bill Gates uh, wrote a, a couple of years ago, the next generation energy kind of cites a lot of the technology developments that are going to happen and how we can take advantage of them. All right. Senator Cantwell, thanks for all your time today. It's great to have you. Thank you. Joining me from Capitol Hill. Still ahead, Take Two's net loss and NVIDIA's revenue warning weighing on shares of both as the two companies point to a slowdown in the gaming sector post-pandemic. Is Microsoft's acquisition of Activision starting to look like a bad bet? We'll discuss. Plus, consumer confidence in the housing market falling to its lowest point in over a decade. As lending names scramble and consolidation looms, we'll look at some possible winners and losers. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. NASDAQ is down 1.4%, pushed lower by the underperformance of a lot of those chip names today. The S&P is down a half a percent as it looks uh, to try to avoid a four-day losing streak, and the Dow is down 23 points. Let's get to Bertha Coombs for a CNBC News update. Bertha? Hey, Kelly. The Trump supporters outside Mar-a-Lago protesting the FBI search of the property yesterday may get what they want, another Trump bid for the White House. A person close to the former president tells NBC News, quote, if he wasn't running before, he is now. Because he is angry, they can add this to him. In a tweet today, Trump's vice president, Mike Pence, writes, he shares the deep concern of millions of Americans over what he calls the unprecedented search of a former president's personal residence. 
And a House panel says today it expects to receive Trump's tax returns from the IRS immediately now that a three-judge panel of D.C.'s federal appellate court has upheld a lower court's decision that Congress has a right to see them. Trump can still ask the full appeals court or the Supreme Court to take the case. And Lamont Dozier, the, one of the legendary writers of the Holland Dozier Holland Motown songwriting and producing team, is dead at the age of 81. Among their many timeless songs, 15 of them that hit number one, You Can't Hurry, Love by the Supremes, Heat Wave, Martha and the Vandellas, and tens of the Supremes' number one hits in the U.S., including Stop in the name of love. <laughs> Those are like the best songs to have. We want to belt head. it out right now. Right? You bring <laughs> it's going to be in my head all day now. Bertha, thank you very much for bringing that to us. We appreciate it. Bertha Coombs. Still ahead, Coinbase, Roblox, and Win all on deck with results. All three down big for the year. Coinbase leading the declines with a more than 60% drop. But look at the last quarter, and it's also leading the rebound up more than 90%. Near-term options say this could be a 20% move from here. The question, of course, is in which direction. We've got the action, the story, and the trade on all three in Earnings Exchange next. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're more than halfway through earnings season, and we're taking a look now at the action, the story, and the trade on three names expected to report a loss today, uh, despite the earnings season moniker. All of them potentially big movers, though. Let's start with Coinbase. The crypto trading platform has been on a big meme-fueled, if you want to call it that, short squeeze ride lately, 22% short interest in the stock. It's up 50% the past month but now down 10% into tonight's print. So can they show strong trading volumes despite the drop in crypto prices? Let's ask Kay Rooney. She's got the story on Coinbase today. Jeff Mills has our trades. He's Bryn Mawr, trustee Iona, CNBC contributor. Welcome to both of you. Kate, what are you watching? Hey, Kelly. Yeah, it's interesting. Coinbase uh, has a lot of their data sort of out there. It's kind of a foregone conclusion when it comes to the second quarter because you can look at trading data, and a lot of the analysts I've been talking to in the past couple days say they already know what the trading volume looked like a couple estimates out there saying that it's likely down 30 percent. But the expectation is that trading slowed down with some of those crypto prices coming down as well. And Coinbase also warned about this and told investors to expect a slower second quarter. So you've got trading volume down, account growth likely taking a hit as crypto prices come down. And then that all affects transaction fee revenue, which is really the bulk of Coinbase's bottom line. So that is the bad news. That's what people are expecting. The thing that investors don't know and they'll really be looking for within that print is something called the mix. So that's the makeup of the retail versus the institutional side of the business. Retail tends to bring higher fees, so a little bit more profitable. The institutional side is a little more interesting lately because of that Black, uh, BlackRock partnership. So there's a little more interest in that. Then you've got something called the take rate. So that's the spread that Coinbase earns per transaction. A lot of investors have been Closely following that, the bear case on Coinbase has been that those fees and the take rate will come down uh, with a lot more competition. You've got FTX, Robinhood getting more into crypto. So that's been a fear in the investor community. The bull case, though, on the other hand, is that Coinbase has really been trying to move beyond trading and diversifying revenue. So if we hear anything tangible, either the NFT business, any of its staking efforts, if any of that is paying off in the near term, that would be good news. And finally, Kelly, cost cutting. So that has been the theme of fintech during earnings. Coinbase has already done a round of job cuts. We saw Robinhood, Square, and PayPal all talk about that discipline, 
pulling back on spending. We'll see if Coinbase goes in the same direction. Yeah, I think I saw even today interactive brokers looking to do more crypto trading. So a, a lot of competition. But they are, Jeff, in my mind, kind of like the the chase of, uh, of crypto. You know, for the average person who just wants to own something in, under a trustworthy name, what would you do with the stock? Yeah, my take, Kelly, isn't super nuanced here. I agree with all of those issues with their core business. I think there's a lot of risk there. But I would put this in the high-risk rally category that we've seen over the past couple of months. Like you said, it's rallied really hard into earnings. I'd put this in the same category with a lot of other ARK stocks. And it's been helped by this big drop in interest rates, you know, the 10-year going from 350 to where it is today. And my guess is, as we go forward here, we're going to see a big divergence within growth stocks between speculation, where I would put this, and more quality growth stocks. We've talked about Amazon and Microsoft in the past. So I think you're going to see a big advantage for those quality growth stocks. And you're going to have Bitcoin sell off in this next risk off move, which I think we're going to have. And I think coin is going to follow suit. So I would be selling into the strength that we've seen. All right. There you have it. And again, it could be a 20 percent mover on earnings if the options are right. Let's move along to Roblox, whose shares have doubled since their last report in May. The company still expected to report a loss. It's never beaten on the bottom line. Can their daily active user numbers hold up in this gaming slump? Steve Kovac has the story. Steve? Yeah, Kelly, a really tough environment going into this earnings for Roblox. So let's let's show you a couple of charts here. If we can show the 90-day chart for Roblox, it's up a whopping 90%. It's been just on a huge tear since May. This is after they kind of gave some... Uh, uh, alleviate some investor concerns, let's just say, that they're going to uh, kind of lap those pandemic comps and things will look a little bit better. Still, growth is really uh, the name of the game here for Roblox. Can they conti- continue to grow in this tough environment when people are spending less on gaming? And then, But look at the 52-week high. Even though they've been on this huge run, they're still about 45% off their all-time high from last fall. So there's still a lot more room to go. Back when we were all talking about the metaverse and everyone was super excited about it, uh, we're not back there yet, Kelly. So there's that's one thing to watch. And then the other thing is advertising. So besides selling digital goods, Roblox is just now starting to dip its toe into advertising. They hmm. talked about that on the earnings call last time. But the idea here is, Kelly, there are tens of millions of people using, mostly kids, using Roblox right. every day. Let's get some brands in there and start collecting some ad revenue. Right, or let's not. <laughs> it always goes in that direction, but it, it remains a, a lightning rod sometimes. Jeff, what do you do with Roblox? So we had a similar discussion on Fast Money last night relative to chips and, and the charts. And we just mentioned this, another really big rally into earnings. So any weakness in results or guidance, you could see the stock sold hard. Look at NVIDIA, for example. They came out with that warning yesterday. You had a 30 percent rally and now the stock is selling off really hard. And all of that warning was really around gaming, right? And we've heard from companies like EA. They've had solid revenue and earnings, but it's these forward-looking warnings that we're seeing, growth rates slowing, similarly with Take-Two last night. So that's what concerns me. Look, I like the product. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say how much money (laughs) my kids have spent on Roblox, Uh, but they're not going to be profitable for quite some time. And again, I think it's something that gets sold in the next risk-off move. All right, Steve, we'll let you go and we'll see you back in just a moment. As we turn to Wynn Resorts, that's our final name in earnings exchange today. It's expected to also report a loss. The shares have slumped 25% this year. They still have 10% short interest. Record revenues in Vegas have been weighed down by COVID problems and Macau and recession fears. Contessa Brewer has the story on win for us. Contessa. Yeah, well, Kelly, before the pandemic, uh, you had Macau accounting for some 
75% of the overall profits for Wynn. So the fact that there's been such strict travel restrictions about COVID is no surprise here. So in this earnings report, what we're looking for beyond how well Vegas is doing, and we know a lot about that because we've already heard from Wynn's Las Vegas competitors. We know that travel has resumed internationally, and that's a big part of Wynn's customer base here in the United States. The real question that uh, investors will be listening for is, What's on the docket in terms of the interactive business? We haven't heard a lot about that recently. Wynn has not has been sort of keeping mum about that. But Massachusetts, where Wynn has a gaming license and operates a big successful casino, uh, has just made a deal to legalize sports betting. So we're going to listen for that on the call. And also, this is one of the only casino operators to go in and open a brand new market. They are planning to co-develop an integrated resort in the Middle East. This is groundbreaking, and you can be sure the analysts want to hear more about when that might take place and what shape it's going to take. So we'll be listening for that on the call. Yeah, it seems like they have a lot of new things going on, Jeff, but the shares still are struggling down about 40% year-to-date. Yeah, I guess my takes here are sort of indicative about the way I feel on the entire market right now. But the theme is the same here. It's another big rally, but also another bad chart. It's still in a clear downtrend. It broke through that $68, $69 a share level, which which could have been support. You can play it as kind of a speculative bet on China reopening, but obviously there's a lot of guesswork there. It's hard to predict, but there's clearly pent-up demand. So if you want to take a risk, that's fine. But I would be more comfortable with an MGM. So here's a little bit more of a Positive take, you know, 85% revenue exposure here in the United States, leverage to China some, but not totally dependent on it. And they're far better off in the online gaming betting area. They're grabbing share there. They're cutting costs, talking about profitability in 2023. I do worry a little bit about that chart as well, but if it was a uh, would you rather, I would be going with MGM. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if there's anything you liked in this market. So there you've given us at least a, a hint of something <laughs> with the MGM pick. Jeff, thank you. Jeff Mills with our trades today. Contessa, thank you as well. Contessa Brewer will be uh, tracking those results. Still ahead, NVIDIA. Take two. Gaming revenue is slowing down significantly from pandemic era levels, but Microsoft is still betting billions, 68 billions to be exact, on one of gaming's big players, Activision Blizzard. Should it though? That's next. Welcome back to The Exchange. Video gaming stocks are some of the biggest beneficiaries of the pandemic, but now Take Two is warning that a slowdown in spending will hurt the industry. NVIDIA slashed its revenue guidance on gaming concerns just yesterday. In light of all this, does the biggest tech deal ever of Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard for nearly $69 billion, does that still make sense? Steve Kovac thinks maybe it still does. Let's hear it, Steve. Well, at least Satya Nadella thinks it still makes sense. So let's go. I have a quote I'd like to put up on the screen here about what he told the New York Times a year ago, this is before they even thought about buying Activision. He's all in on gaming. He was all in on gaming last summer. And what he saw with Activision was he saw the stock declining, all these cultural problems, the CEO, all these accusations leveled at him for he knew these were happening. And look, if you look at the chart, they saw the stock fall throughout the entire year, especially at the end of the year when all these problems were coming to a head. And they smelled blood in the water and said, let's make a bid. This is a quality company on the cheap. By the way, it's not just Nadella. Berkshire Hathaway did the same thing. In terms of gaming or in terms, in terms of directly investing in Activision. Oh, right. Gosh, I never think about Berkshire's being involved because, it's, again, there's they a new generation of people. Did. Wow. They're, 
that's a whole other story. Yes. But to your point, I guess the larger question is, even when they bought it, and, and Nadella is brilliant, yes. you know, absolutely. But even when they bought it, is it possible they were still paying a pandemic premium? Because the numbers, these numbers do not look so good now for gaming. What is that telling us? Right. But think of what the most important business is for Microsoft right now, the cloud. Well, but that's slowing. No, Didn't NVIDIA just tell us that? This gaming, they have this new thing called Xbox Game Pass, which lets you basically stream your Xbox video games to anything with a screen. Don't go out there. You don't have to buy a $500 video game console. We're going to let you play these games anywhere. We own not just Activision eventually, but we own uh, ZeniMax. They own Minecraft. And they really see this as a way to supercharge their cloud gaming service as well, which supercharges Azure Cloud, their most important business. So it's, it's additive. It's not just about the gaming thing. It's also about growing cloud, I noticed which is hugely important for them. Some of the traders over at Morgan Stanley were saying, look, they think this was a needed reset. We always hear this, mm. right? We have to kind of get the bad numbers out of there so that people can reset their expectations around video gaming demand. Have... Is there any reason to believe that gaming won't be growing with more importance in, in the years to come? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is yeah. there, has anything fundamentally changed or no. do we just pull this forward? Is, this is why engagement? I cover gaming. This is why I love covering gaming because it has become, it's, it's only going to continue to grow. We're approaching the point, Kelly, where half the people on this planet play video games. <laughs> now, most of it's done on mobile, but... All these companies, they see an opportunity there. In fact, that was Microsoft's, one of their stated goals here. They're like, we looked at the data. Over 3 billion people are playing video games. Let's get in on that, and let's get on now before it grows even more. So that's the opportunity. And then you can't talk about this without talking about the metaverse, Kelly. Sure. You know who the first big tech CEO to even say metaverse publicly was? What? It, wasn't. it wasn't Mark Zuckerberg. It was Satya Nadella. He said it on an earnings call last May. He's been thinking about this, at least publicly, way longer and in a deeper way uh, than even Mark Zuckerberg has been. So this is a very, very long-term play. The deal may seem expensive now, but they have a plan for it. I think, I, you might have convinced me. Steve, thank you <laughs> so much. At least Nadella convinced you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's convinced us. To, our Steve Kovac, thank you. Sure. Take Two's chairman and CEO, Strauss Zelnick, himself will join Jim Cramer on Mad Money tonight. You won't want to miss it. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern. Coming up, United Wholesale Mortgage saw originations fall from both the first quarter and last year. We're going to talk to the CEO about that and where the lending landscape goes from here. Welcome back. Higher rates and lack of inventory continue to crush mortgage demand, despite signs that those record prices are at least beginning to cool. Data from Black Knight shows home sales are down 21% since the start of the year. Of course, it's taking a toll on lenders, the likes of United Wholesale Mortgage included. They just reported a 55% gain in profits for the second quarter, but also saw mortgage originations drop by 50% from the same time last year. The shares are down about 30% this year and 50% off the highs. For more on where the market goes from here, let's welcome back Matt Ishbia. He's president and CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, which is the number one wholesale and purchase lender. Matt, it's good to have you. Where do we go from here? What now? 
Well, I mean, mortgage rates went up. And at the same time, people like us at UWM, we're still winning. We're still growing our market share, still growing as a company, obviously very profitable. And so we feel great about where we're at. The, the housing market is actually, people keep saying it's cooling, it's cooling. You know, we're seeing a lot of purchase. We had a, 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 one of our best quarters of all time in purchase, over $22 billion. We're the largest purchase line in the country. And if you're doing refinances, you're not going to be a great mortgage company right now because it's hard to do refinances with rates in the fives. Yeah. What can you tell us about trends, even just kind of the last couple of weeks or what you're expecting into the fall? Yeah, well, we've seen the housing market, as you said, cool a little bit. What, what I'm saying is it's still a hot housing market, but instead of, you know, you get eight offers in the first two weeks and five are over asking price, now you're getting four offers with one over asking price. It's starting to cool. Instead of being a complete seller's market, it's starting to shift to more middle of the, route, middle of the road. And I think, like I said before, I think the fourth quarter and first quarter will become more of a normalized market. Still great time to purchase, still great opportunity. Housing values aren't going down. They're staying level, and they're not going to keep going up at 15% a year, but we all knew that. Well, it, it, I know a lot of people say, like, oh, come on. How can you say that market isn't going to crash? But I, I as, a, as a human looking around at the demand out there, I, I take your point that we might just kind of be sitting up here for a while. Granted, the market might see more of a freeze in activity, which I'm sure wouldn't be a great thing for you guys. Well, you know, it's not going to be a freeze activity as in just a freeze in valuations. Values are not going to keep going up 10 15%. They go 1% to 3%, which is what historic numbers are. And so for us, you know, we're still winning on the purchase market. We're doing a lot of purchase business. A lot of my competitors are down 70%, 80%. People are closing doors, laying people off. We're not doing any of that at UW. Actually, I'm paying a dividend, which is like a 10% yield based on my stock price today. So wow. we pay a dividend as the seventh consecutive quarter. We're paying that out. Our brokers are growing. And, you know, we feel really good about our business right now. Wait, what's the field going to look like? I mean, can you guys consolidate? Do you have any interest in doing so? Would it be a bad time because it's less profitable now? Are there weak players that you think might get scooped up here or, or changes that we should expect? Yeah, we look at all those things. The acquisitions are out there. A lot of our competitors are struggling. Some people might even exit the market because they just can't compete. They haven't built the technology to be able to do cost of originate. It's cheaper. In the mortgage channel, the broker market where we live is the cheapest place for consumers to get a mortgage. Actually, Humda data shows $9,400 cheaper for a consumer to go through a mortgage broker at findamortgagebroker.com than actually going through retail. And so <laughs> we are in the place that's cheaper for consumers, and we are cheaper for people to use because of the, the technology and the cost to originate. So we're winning right now. We, we are growing market share. You'll see us continue to gain market share. We'll eventually become the number one overall lender. Right now, we're number two behind Rocket, and we'll continue to grow here at UWM with our mortgage broker partners. Why do you think you're going to surpass Rocket? They, they have a lot of good ads. Yeah, they do a lot of good. They do a great job marketing. Congrats to them on the marketing, but on the on the business side, they don't do purchase. Purchase business is what's going to win. If you're only dependent on a refi, you will struggle. I'm not yeah. saying them specifically. I'm saying all mortgage companies, and we're winning in the purchase space. Fascinating. Matt, thanks again for your time. It's good to see you. Matt Ishbia, United Wholesale Mortgage. Still ahead, the alt energy and EV names seem like the obvious winners from the Inflation Reduction Act, but we will dig into some under-the-radar players that could benefit, like this conglomerate, up nearly 3% over the past week. The exchange is back after this. Welcome back. Before we go, yesterday we talked about how the likes of solar names, some of the EV players could benefit from the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. But there are some under-the-radar winners we also want to dig into, like Honeywell, which is that mystery chart we just showed you. Our senior climate correspondent, Diana Olick, has that story. Diana. Well, Kelly, the obvious winners, as you said, in the climate space are solar, wind, and electric vehicles. But this historic amount of spending will spread into several other sectors. For one, something as mundane as HVAC systems. That's your heating and air conditioning. That includes public names like Johnson Controls, Carrier, and Honeywell. Heat pumps could be big as homeowners would get a sizable tax credit to do the upgrades. 
Agriculture, which is a big carbon offender, will also benefit from $20 billion in ag subsidies to help farmers reduce emissions. They'll also see cash from carbon sequestration and capture through what's known as the 45Q tax credit. A major name in this space, Green Plains. It makes ethanol, but has also shifted its model to focus more on cleaner technologies for agriculture and potentially cleaner fuels. The clean fuel production tax credit that we're talking about could really start to change the way that this industry is perceived, both from the farm all the way through what we do, and really revalue the asset base overall that we can do so many more things that others can't do in refining assets. In addition, venture capital firms like Fifth Wall, which just closed a half billion dollar climate fund for real estate, could see big boosts to the startups that it backs. Those include clean cement and steel production, as well as clean hydrogen and carbon capture. Breakthrough Energy Ventures, founded by Bill Gates, could also see the value of the companies it backs rise exponentially. Gates said in an op-ed in the New York Times Friday, these incentives would also provide the private sector with the confidence to invest for the long term, which we know is so important, Kelly, going forward. I learned that we actually have a heat pump in our garage. I just didn't know that's what it was called. I think it's Mitsubishi. Would they get any direct benefit um, yes. from the incentives you're talking about? They were on the list as well. I only had so much on the screen, so much space, but they are one of the players that could see benefits from that as well. Even though they're not American, meaning the, the, there's right. no but kind they of... sell to American. You know, if you have one in your garage, then, you know, you're playing into Mitsubishi. And if people upgrade their homes using the tax credits and buy something from Mitsubishi... There you go. Absolutely. I didn't know if they were like, you know, you can have this credit, but only if you buy Honeywell or whatever. No. All right, Diana, thank you very much, Diana Olick. And from winners to warnings, we'll get a look at some of the retail names that could see a short squeeze as the meme traders return. That is coming up on Power Lunch, which begins right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place.